to imagine for a moment uh, a time where you've maybe had to work really hard for something. So imagine, I don't know, a sporting event that you had to train really hard for or an exam that you really had to roll your sleeves up for in order to get a good grade, maybe even to get the attention or the affection of your sweetheart, your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You had to work really, really hard. Uh, it won't take us long to identify a time in our lives where we've had to work really hard for something. And when you get that thing in your mind, just keep it in the foreground because I want you to, to think about it throughout the course of this talk. It may maybe even happen this week, you never know. So keep that thing in mind because I want to introduce what we're going to be uh, looking and hearing from God about this week as we step into our second identity talk. So this is week two of the sermon series that we're going through together as a church. And this week we're going to be looking at a really important lesson that we can learn from the life of Jacob. So this is going to be taken from Genesis 27. If you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis 27. I'm actually going to read a paraphrased version of it. So it will give you all the details of the account, the, the story of what happened, but it is a paraphrased version. So it's important that you have your Bible in front of you as well uh, to see what that says. So Genesis 27. When Isaac had become an old man and was nearly blind, he called his eldest son Esau. He said, my son. Yes, father. I'm an old man, he said, I might die any day now. Go and hunt me some game and cook me a hearty meal just the way I like it and bring it to me so that I can eat it and give you my personal blessing before I die. Rebecca was eavesdropping as Isaac spoke to Esau and as soon as Esau had gone off to hunt game for his father, Rebecca spoke to her son Jacob. I've just overheard your father speaking with Esau. He said, bring me some, uh, some game that you've caught. Cook, uh, cook me a meal so that I can eat it and give my blessing to you. God's blessing before I die. Now my son, listen, go. Get me two goats from outside, pick the best, I'll cook them perfectly. Then you'll take them to your father, he'll eat it and he'll bless you before he dies. But mother, Jacob said, my, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I have smooth skin. What happens if my father touches me? He thinks I, he'll think I'm playing games with him. I'll bring down a curse upon myself rather than a blessing. If it comes to that, said his mother, I'll take the curse upon myself. Just go, do what I say. Go and get the goats. So he went and got them and brought them back to his mother, and she cooked them perfectly. Rebecca took the clothes of her older son Esau and put them on her younger son Jacob. She took the goat skin and covered his hands and his neck with the goat skin, and then she placed the hearty meal into his, ha into his hands, and he went off to his father. My father, he said. Yes, Isaac replied. Which son are you? I'm your firstborn son Esau, he lied. I did what you told me. Come, now sit up, eat this food that I brought, then you can give me your personal blessing. Isaac said, so soon? How did you do it so quickly? Come close, let me touch you. Are you really my son Esau? So Jacob moved close to his father Isaac, and Isaac felt him and said, well, the voice is the voice of Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize him because he had the goat skin on his hands. And just as he was about to bless him, Isaac said again, you're sure you're, you're my son Esau? Yes, I am. Isaac said, bring the food to me so I can eat it, and then I'll give you my personal blessing. So he brought it and he ate. Then Isaac said, come close, my son, and kiss me. 
He came close and kissed his father, and Isaac smelled the smell of the clothes, and he finally blessed him. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the open country, blessed by God. May God give you of heaven's dew and earth's bounty of grain and wine. May people serve you and may nations honor you. You will master your brothers and your mother's sons will honor you. Those who curse you will be cursed and those who bless you will be blessed. And then right after Isaac had blessed Jacob and Jacob left, Esau came back from the hunt. And this is a cliffhanging moment, right? This is a remarkable story to read in Genesis 27. And I believe it's really important for us to look at this today. And I'm going to explain why. Because Jacob had a problem. Despite the fact that Jacob knew the promises of God, like we saw in our, our first talk last week, the first in the series, we, we know that he knew the promises of God. He also knew that his father, Isaac, loved Esau more. And this wasn't a new thing within the family, particularly because of the, the, the time back then, that the cultural norm would have been for the firstborn to be really esteemed. So the way that, that Jacob had, had grown up and been raised would have always been really to play second fiddle to Esau, his brother. And can you imagine the negative impact that would have had on Jacob, on the way he thought about himself, on the way his character had been developed? That's a really tough filter to view life through. Second rate, overlooked, undervalued. Jacob had such a, um, a problem with missing out on his father's affection and his anointing that he and his sympathetic mother developed this, this really ridiculous plan in order to achieve that blessing, to, to achieve that status, to, to, to achieve that sense of approval. So picture it for a second. It's remarkable if you really think about it. He fakes Esau's approval. Uh, sorry, Esau's appearance. He covers his arms with goat's, goat's hair and his neck. I mean, seriously, how, how hairy is this dude? He stands before the father. He fakes that position. And then he, he puts his brother's clothing on. Again, seriously, how, how smelly is his brother that he's able to achieve that? That must be pretty pungent for him to be able to pull that off. He so longs for the blessing and the acceptance of his dying father. He longs to be in that position of the beloved son. So we'd hear Jacob's efforts. We, we may have been reading through Genesis 27 and think, man, you are desperate and you're pretty dishonest. It's almost like something from a comedy film, isn't it? And yet, you and I, we constantly play that game of seeking approval, seeking recognition ourselves. In fact, most of us spent a great deal of our lives doing that very thing. Now, because we live in, um, in a time where voices and screens and advertising and social media are bombarding our senses like never before in history, our feelings towards ourselves and our feelings towards those around us are constantly being questioned. So whether we like it or not, society is inviting us constantly to give an account on anything and everything. I mean, if I scroll through my Facebook account or my Twitter account, people are remarking on all sorts of things relationships, image, politics, it's all being hotly debated constantly around us. The opinions of others are, co are constantly in motion like never before. And everything is put into this spotlight for us to look at and think about and be affected by. And I believe personally that that has had a huge distortion on how we view ourselves and also what we view to be true and what we believe to be false. So we actually live in a world today that says that, that truth and falsehoods 
are not black and white. They're actually on a sliding scale. And we can move that scale around to fit our needs. We can, we can kind of get them to get, get what we believe to be true and false to actually fit our own desires for a particular point, and then we can move on from it if we want. So our own realities, our own identities, are being tweaked whenever we like it. But here's one truth that I really want to assert today. God is the creator of identities. God has an intimate and a complete plan in mind for how he's designed each and every single one of us. Every single one of you. Psalm 139 even talks about it. There's loads of places in the Bible that does, but if you turn to Psalm 139, you'll, you'll see that there's this, um, this understanding that from the moment God created humankind, he's had this intimate and complete plan in mind for how each and every one of us are going to live out our lives. But because of my sin and because of your sin, the identities that we should find wholeness in and should find satisfaction in are distorted because we choose to go to God uh, we, sorry, we choose to go to other places beside God for the definition. We don't go to him. So when God would choose to bring uh, inspiration or revelation to who we are and why we're here and what the purpose of this life is, the devil brings lie and temptation instead. The notion that you can change who God made you and how he sees you is the exact lie that Adam and Eve gave into in the first place. Did, did God really say that? Is that really what he thinks? And from a brief look at the life of Jacob, I think we can see that we are all tempted to achieve identity. And in a bit, we'll look at the fact that in Jesus, and I believe only in Jesus, we can receive a full and satisfying identity. So while Jacob chose to hide himself in the, the character and the clothing of his brother Esau, we have the choice, we have the opportunity. Today we have the invitation to hide ourselves in the person and the nature of Jesus Christ. So if you can remember just two words from this whole talk, just two, just remember, receive versus achieve. Receive versus achieve, because that's what's at play here. Now, like our friend Jacob, we, we all long, one degree or another, we all long to be affirmed, to fit in, to belong. And part of the way that we achieve that is by how we allow ourselves to be shaped by the people and the voices and the circumstances around us. Whether we like it or not, whether you like it or not, you and I are shaped and refined by what goes on around us more than we realize. So our culture says, no, 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 no. You can be whoever you want to be. You can create your own sense of self-worth. You can create your own logic regarding self. Come on, buddy, you can be whatever you want to be, and when you're done, you can shift and move over to the next thing. That's what, the, what, what we're really told around us. But that's just not true. We really have been and will be influenced more than we realize by the things that are spoken over us. And Jacob lived in the reality of that as much as you and I do. So imagine for, for a second seeing that your father is getting old, and knowing that when it came to the crunch, when, he, when he's about to die, he's on his deathbed, he's going to call his one son Esau to bless him and not you. Isaac doesn't call anyone else, he just calls Esau. 
and there's these two words that jump out at me in that text. You may have noticed it on a few occasions. He refers to Esau as my son. Now, you might think that's really simple, but that actually jumped out at me loads. It's such an intimate and such a powerful thing to say. It draws Esau in. It helps him to know that he belongs, that he's part of something. It's the thing, it's the thing that Jacob longs to hear. And I believe that's really important. Now, I, I can say genuinely with hand on my heart, pretty much every single day, I gather my five-year-old son and my two-year-old daughter and I sit them down and I look them in the eye and I say, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you so much. I'm so pleased to be part of your family. I'm so pleased and so blessed that you're part of my family. I love your mother so much. You, you and me and your mum have such fun. We love family. We love the fact that God sits over this family, that he, that he invites us into these mysteries with him, that he has fun with us. I, I want to speak these truths. There's loads of other things I could say. I want to speak these truths into their little lives all the time. Why? Because it builds a foundation in their heart. It helps them to be reminded that they're loved, that they belong, that they're accepted. And these are truths that they can bank on no matter what day they're having, whether they've been naughty or nice, whether they've been good or bad. I speak these truths because they know it's a truth they can bank on. doesn't matter how they behave. Okay, my dad loves me. God loves me. He's over me. He, I speak these all the time. Now I wonder, what words do you choose to speak over people? Especially words to help them to know that they are loved by God. And also, possibly even more importantly, what words have been said over you that define or have defined how you see yourself? In years gone by, have, have friends or, or family or colleagues spoken words of encouragement or discouragement? Words of acceptance or rejection? Have people said of you, well, that was good, but not, not good enough? Maybe you've been given labels. Maybe you've been called names like loser or loner or waste of space or cheat or stupid. What impact has that had on you? I'm, I'm just going to pause for a second just to have a think about what, what names and what things have been spoken into your life by other people. What have people said about you? It's really important to think about it. Do you know, when someone speaks something particularly negative over us, or maybe even misses the chance to encourage us in a particular way, we have this inbuilt need to do something with it. So, for example, if someone has called you a loner, like that you're always going to be alone, that you're never people aren't going to be close to you, that you're never going to find that someone, that you're, you're always going to go through life on the fringes, for example... You, you, you'll find ways to, to move away from that label. You'll want to find your identity be, to be shaped by something else. So you might, you might try and become really popular. You might think, well, if only if I become really outgoing, maybe if I become the life and soul of the party, maybe if I'm uh, the one who's always up the latest or going out the most or speaking the most, or kind of making the, the most uh, expression in a, in a um, social setting, so everyone notices me, maybe I'll shun that label. Maybe I'll, I'll be able to skip it. 
Maybe somebody said of you that you're a waste of space. You think, well, no, okay, if, if I pour myself into my studies, or maybe if I just pour everything into my career, make that my thing, just pour everything of me into that, that work circumstance, then maybe they'll think differently of me. Maybe they, I'll amount to something and they'll think differently of me. They won't think I'm a waste of space anymore. Do you see what I mean? We're so easily shaped by what people say about us and how they view us. And like Jacob, knowing that sense of acceptance and approval is in all of us. I believe it. Why? I believe it's because we long to find the fingerprint of a father on our foreheads that says, actually, no, I haven't made a mistake. You belong here. I wonder even just where you're at, just put your, put your thumb on your forehead. That, we long to find that fingerprint that says, no, I haven't made any mistakes here. You, you're exactly how I wanted you to be. I wonder, how does that make you feel, hearing me say that? Because for some of you, it will sound so sweet, it will sound so restoring, it will help explain exactly why you're here. But for others, it's going to sound pretty bitter. You're going to think, actually, that I'm a fool for even believing these sort of things. You'll think, well, you don't know about me. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know how I've made something of myself. I rolled my sleeves up. I worked my fingers to the bone. I was nothing, and now I'm something. You don't know what I've been through to get to where I'm at today. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I believe God would say to you today, you're wrong. It's a toxic way to think about yourself. It's a toxic way to view how life should be lived. It's an illusion to how God really sees you. He wants to shape your identity. And you know, no matter where you're at in life, everything, literally everything can be built on the truth that we are his and that there's nothing that we need to do to work for that achievement or that, that acceptance, I should say, acceptance. You know, you've already lost your true identity if you ever think that it's something that you can achieve. I'm going to fast forward a bit to the, the New Testament. So we're going to look at Luke 15 now. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells this string of parables that help us to uh, understand how it's God's intention that we uh, would receive his seal of approval, that we'd be welcomed in, that we would be included um, or defined as his. So there's a story about a lost, uh, a lost sheep. And then there's a story about a lost coin. And then we get to a story about a lost son. It's a really, really famous part of the Bible. So after receiving his inheritance, a son runs off with the money. He goes off to another place to create his own identity, to find, to find explanation and uh, an understanding for why he's been alive. He goes off down these, these, these rabbit trails to try and find some sort of definition by doing things that he thought would satisfy him and bring him some kind of um, illumination, I guess. But it doesn't go well for him, does it? He squanders all his money. He ends up on his backside. He's far from home, and he decides that he's going to go back to his dad. And even at that point, he thinks, well, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to become a servant. I'm going to start at the bottom. I'm going to start climbing the ladder again. And then maybe one day I will receive that, uh, that forgiveness or that seat next to my father again. So chapter 15, verse 20, it says, But while he was still a long way off, he was, he was miles off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick. I, I love that word. It's, it's, there's so much emotion in it. Quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for this son of mine was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost and he's now found. So they begin to celebrate. It's such a beautiful story. I absolutely love it. Quick. He's back. Look, he's here. He's, he's next. He doesn't need to work for it. He's here, look. What you really believe about yourself is distorted by your sin and by the sin of others. And defining who you really are is not anything that can be achieved by hard work. There's no way the son was going to have to start as a servant to work his way back up the ladder. God comes to you. Just like the father in the parable, God, the author, the giver of life, goes 100% of the way. He goes to you. Jesus Christ left his glorious, his almighty position in heaven, and came and stood in the lonely gap for you. The gap that was created by you ever thinking that you could make it on your own. And on the cross, he paid the price for your sin, your shame. Any sense of thinking you're a self-made person, he hung on the cross to pay for that misgiving. So that as well as forgiveness, because we need to be forgiven for that, your true identity could also be restored. That identity that says you're a much-loved son and you're a much-loved daughter. That was restored. So while Jacob strangely thought that he could hide himself in Esau's clothing and fake that place before the father, we can now hide ourselves in the, the sacrifice and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, receiving that total acceptance from God the Father. Do you know, God the Father pours out his love and his affection over God the Son constantly. And we get that same standing as well now. The gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves because on the cross we've, always, we've already been proven and secure. So our struggles to achieve meaning and purpose and any sort of definition for our identity can stop. We no longer need to seek the approval, the applaud of other people because God wants us to be captivated by him, by his love, his approval, not tempted, not misled by the labels and the mistakes of other people. If you've given your life to Jesus, in Colossians, it says that because you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, so your true identity, how God really sees you. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, not on your titles, not on your recognition, not on temptations, 
not on earthly things, for you died. You know, the, the old you, the, the self-made you, the faltering you, who didn't really quite grasp his identity, that's died. And your life is now hidden, hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3, verse 1 and 2. Hidden in Christ means that your life can now be whole. It can be secure. It can be unaffected by whether others acknowledge you or not. And I wonder, are you hidden in Christ? Are you hidden in Christ? Are you, is your life tucked away in and secure in him? In Jesus and only in Jesus, we receive that seal of approval, that, that fingerprint on the forehead from a father that says, you're mine. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to fail you. Do you know, that security, that faithfulness, that love, that acceptance is everything that you and I have been searching for, every single one of us. It's what a, a, a lost world is working so hard to achieve I urge you, stop looking for definition elsewhere. God surrendered everything of himself, 100% of himself, on the cross so that you don't need to fight for it any longer. And whether you're hearing this for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time, he invites you today. He gives you the opportunity. He calls you in. He says, quick. Receive and accept your true identity. You're a very, very precious son. You're a very, very precious daughter. Do you know, I could talk about this for a long time. Identity is, is something that I am just so happy to re have received from God. And so what I want to do, I'm just going to invite you just to close your eyes. Wherever you're at, I, I'm going to... I'm going to pray, and it's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus finished his work on the cross and rose again and went and sat back at the right hand of God the Father, he sent his Holy Spirit to us. And you know, every single day before I leave the house, I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me. One of the main reasons that I ask that is so that I can be reminded daily that I'm his, that I'm a son, that I'm forgiven, that I'm, that I'm before him. I don't need to strive any harder. The Holy Spirit reminds us of, or it reminds me of who I really am and not who I used to be. And so I'm going to just pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that the Spirit is, a, is the great illuminator. He is the great comforter. Spirit, I pray that you would use my words to unlock hearts that think that they can achieve things on their own. We spend so much of our lives fighting for approval and fighting to find some sort of shape to our identity. And Lord, all we need is you. Father, I'm so aware that I'm speaking to people who have maybe known this for a long, long time and perhaps have never heard it before. And by the power of your spirit, you can meet each and every single one of those people where they're at right now. Help us to get a big view of Jesus, Lord. Spirit, help us to, to understand 
just what he did, just what he won on the cross. The world has such a negative impact on how we see ourselves as sons and daughters. So today, refresh our hearts, refresh our minds, just like it says in Colossians, that we would set our hearts and minds on things above, that we'd realize that in Christ we are, we are so right before the throne of God. We, we don't need to work hard for it any longer. I am a son of God. Thank you that every aspect of my life, every interaction, every work that I may do, every, every task that I may put my hand to can be seen through the filter of I'm a son, I'm accepted, I'm restored, I've been bought at a great price. I pray that I bring such rest to my life. And Lord, I want that for, for, the, for these men and women. I so dearly want it. I believe God wants to say to you today, you are a son, you are a daughter. Receive that from him. Amen.